for the implications of the core truth of the gospel to be worked out and to be applied rigorously and consistently, that's going to take some work. That's going to take some time. It would take a special person, actually, and it would take a special ministry. And here is where the Apostle Paul comes in. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Today we're beginning a message called Authentic Messenger, Authentic Gospel. Part of our series where we're taking a look at the gospel itself. And uh, Jonathan, you're saying if we're going to work out the truths of the gospel, it's going to take uh, a special person, the special ministry. What, what are you talking about there? Well, I think what we're grappling with here is the reality that the Christian message, the gospel, didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't arrive in a kind of Amazon parcel sent from heaven yeah. that we sort of just opened up and, and, and read as out of the blue. No, it's embedded in history, and it's delivered by people. It's grounded in the person of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension on high, and then it's worked out and proclaimed by key messengers. And the Apostle Paul is one of those key foundational messengers of the truth. And, and here in our passage today, he's telling us some crucial information about himself. And, and so what is that crucial information that you think we need to understand about Paul if we want to be able to trust his message and trust what he is saying about the gospel? Well, Paul wants us to see and to understand a little bit of his life story, and in particular, the transformation that Jesus Christ brought about in his life. He used to be an opponent of the faith, an opponent of the gospel, an opponent of the church of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, the risen Jesus, met Paul on the Damascus Road, he turned his life upside down, and he changed him from being an enemy of the gospel to being a proclaimer of the gospel. And that story, it is so compelling. Well, we're going to look at that today from the book of Galatians. If you can, grab a Bible, join us in chapter 1 as we begin Authentic Messenger, Authentic Gospel. Here is Jonathan. Well, here in our verses this morning in Galatians 1 and 2, we zoom in and we look really quite closely at the life of another world-changing, world-transforming figure the life of the Apostle Paul. In some ways, these verses in the flow of Galatians look like a little bit of a kind of aside, even a distraction in the grand flow of the big arguments. One commentator says of them that these verses contain the least theological content of any section of the letter. I read that on Monday, and I thought, oh, great, this is going to be a hard week. The focus here is on the story of Paul's conversion and then aspects of his travels and his ministry over a number of years. In some ways, it does look like a section that we could just kind of skim over. But like all Scripture, we believe that it is here for a reason. It's here because the Lord knows it will do us good to read it and study it and take to heart its message. And to see why that is, we need to remember just how very significant a figure Paul is and was. As we're going to see a little bit this morning and in the coming weeks, God used the Apostle Paul quite literally to change the world. And each one of us gathered here, thousands of miles away from Galatia, 2,000 years down the long track of history, each one of us here has been impacted by his ministry, perhaps far more than we actually know. 
As we began to see last week, false teachers have infiltrated the Galatian church and they have disturbed the Galatian Christians. They've thrown them into confusion by proclaiming and teaching a distorted and a false gospel. And part of their strategy in turning the Galatians away from the true gospel has been to undermine the Apostle Paul in order to undermine his message. They've been saying that the Apostle Paul was actually, in reality, something less than a true apostle, who brought something less than a true gospel. In particular, it seems that they were saying that Paul, who was not a follower of Jesus during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, Paul had only received his gospel secondhand from those who were true apostles. Whatever Paul was, whatever he might claim to be, he was less than the other apostles, these folk were saying. He didn't carry the same authority as the Jerusalem apostles. Now, that was the charge. That was the claim. And so, in our passage this morning, Paul is tackling those charges head on. He is dealing with them very directly. And he's doing so, in the first instance, by telling his story. He's doing that so that the Galatians will accept and continue to accept his message. That's his focus. Chapter 1 and verse 11, just notice with me, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul's purpose in telling this story that we just read is that we might have confidence in his message, in his gospel, have confidence that his gospel is the genuine gospel given by God. But the story does far more for us than that as well. It points us to the grace and the wisdom of God in ordering and ordaining all of Paul's steps. And it also teaches us crucial lessons about how to live as faithful gospel people in our own age and in our own generation. So without further ado, let's get into the story. It begins with an amazing transformation, an amazing transformation, verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I guess we've all heard stories of remarkable life transformations, of dramatic transfers of loyalty. I'm always fascinated by wartime stories of defections where government workers or government spies suddenly change sides and go to the enemy. I was interested to learn that one of the most significant stories of Soviet defection unfolded right here in Ottawa. Perhaps you're familiar with the story. In September of 1945, Igor Guzensku, a, a worker at the Soviet embassy here in town, walked out of the office with a suitcase full of Russian code books, determined to betray and then expose a ring of Soviet spies operating in Canada. It took a while for him to be taken seriously, but he eventually got a hearing with the government. And the Guzensku affair is now seen as a key event in actually sparking the Cold War. It was a dramatic change in that man's life, a stunning transfer of loyalty. But you know, no story tops Paul's story. He was a leading Jewish teacher of his day zealous for the teachings and the traditions of Judaism. 
He didn't see or accept as a Jew that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, the promised king to come. And so like many of his contemporaries, he was opposed to Jesus, and he was opposed to the followers of Jesus. But Paul was one of those all-in, all-or-nothing kinds of characters. He didn't do anything by half measures. And so when he decided that Jesus was an imposter and not a savior, and when he decided that the people of Jesus, the church, were a threat to Judaism, well, he went after them, all guns blazing. In the book of Acts, we learn that Paul, Saul as he was originally known, looked on and gave approval as the first Christian martyr was stoned to death. We're told that he worked to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off believers to prison. Saul was a violent and an angry man. He was a zealot, a persecutor, a tormentor of God's people, an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he looks back from the vantage point of writing Galatians, he must have flinched when he wrote those words of verse 13. What a memory to carry. How intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. That's his background. That's where Paul has come from. Thoroughly opposed to Jesus, thoroughly opposed to the gospel, enemy number one. And he wants us to know it, and he wants us to remember it, because he wants us to see that only the Lord himself could have transformed him and made him what he became. No human being could take credit for the transformation that occurred in the life of the Apostle Paul. No Christian missionaries could claim credit for that conversion, and Paul himself certainly couldn't claim credit. God did it. It was God's work start to finish. Paul goes out of his way to emphasize that truth. God, verse 15, set Paul apart from birth, from his mother's womb, and he had a special plan and a special purpose for him. Saul would uh, grow up knowing nothing of that plan for many years. He would spend quite a lot of time as an enemy of the gospel, as a persecutor of the church. But before he did any of that, before he dragged believers off to prison and all the rest, God had in his calendar a day marked off when he would grab hold of Saul and transform him to Paul the Apostle, when he would reveal to him the person of Jesus Christ, and then make him that great servant of the church, that great preacher of the gospel, even that great apostle. The transformation in Paul's heart and life was so radical, so unthinkable in human terms, that it simply must have been the work of God himself. And of course, when we think of it, the cost for Paul in turning away from Judaism and becoming uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the, the cost for him in terms of that break with his Jewish community, the loss of position, the loss of respect, he'd been advancing in Judaism beyond many of his peers, uh, the possibility now of persecution as he joined this little-known religious sect, it would have been costly and that fact alone says that Paul didn't just decide one morning to do this on his own. He wouldn't have done it unless the Lord had done something dramatic in his life. Now, that's the main thing Paul wants us to take away here. The Lord's transformation of his life shows that his apostleship and his message, they are genuine. They're the real thing. Now, we're going to pursue that idea a little bit further in a moment. But before we continue down that track any further, 
there's a very significant side lesson for us to take note of and to learn from here about God's great power to save. And it is worth taking a moment just to consider that. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Authentic Messenger, Authentic Gospel. It's the second message in our series called Jesus Plus Nothing, a series where we're taking a look at the book of Galatians. And if you ever miss a broadcast, maybe you join us late or you have to leave early, or you just want to listen again, you can always listen to our broadcast by coming to the website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you did join us a little bit late, like I mentioned, we are in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 1 today, looking at verses 11 through chapter 2, verse 14. So grab a Bible and join us there as we get back to the message. Once again, here's Jonathan. I guess each one of us probably have people in our lives, people we know, people we care about, people we'd love to see come to saving faith, but whom we could never imagine in a million years turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this person, whoever we're thinking of, they are too hostile. They are too wrapped up in an ungodly way of life, too scornful of the Christian message, too dismissive of Jesus Christ. This person, we imagine, is simply unsavable. Do you know anyone like that? Is there anyone who comes to mind when I give that description? I guess we've all got someone like that in mind. Now, the amazing thing here is that Paul was that guy. Paul was that person. There was no one more unsavable than Saul of Tarsus. He hated the gospel. He hated the church. He had no time for Jesus Christ. His life's aim was to destroy the people of Jesus Christ. But, you know, the Lord decided to take hold of Saul. The, the Lord decided that he would take this enemy and make him his friend. He decided that he would take this great opponent of the gospel and make him the gospel's greatest proponent. That day on the Damascus Road, God confronted Paul. He encountered Paul, and in an instant, he turned him from the gospel's leading enemy to its leading teacher. I take it that this should come as a huge encouragement to each one of us. God is the God of miracles. He is the God who has power to transform the human heart, even the hardest human heart. And if today you are despairing of a friend or a loved one, a colleague at work, a neighbor on your street who seems so hostile to the gospel, so far away, here is just an encouragement to pray, because God in His infinite kindness and His amazing grace is able to take hold of the most hostile enemies and to make them His friends. That's an encouragement for each one of us. And I, I hope it might renew our determination to pray for people we're almost giving up on, almost stopping praying for. I hope it might renew our determination to pray for a miracle in their heart. If God can take hold of Saul, if God can transform Saul, He can save anyone. An amazing transformation. Next, a necessary separation. It's easy, I think, to skim over some of the details of Paul's story here and to fail to see what a sort of surprising way in which things unfold. But, but as we do pause to look at some of the details and to examine them a little bit more closely, the progression of events is actually quite remarkable. 
Just notice with me, when Paul received the gospel from the Lord Jesus that day, verse 16, he didn't consult any Christian leaders, any apostles, verse 17. He, he didn't go to anyone just to double-check that he'd got all the details right. Instead, he went straight to Arabia and Damascus to bring the gospel to unevangelized Gentile areas. It was, verse 18, three full years after his conversion before he went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter for a brief trip of just 15 days. And then he went off to Syria and Cilicia, verse 21. He didn't get to know the apostles of Judea, that churches of that cradle territory where the gospel was proclaimed so early. Verse 22, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Jesus Christ. It would then be chapter 2, verse 1, 14 full years before he would go back to Jerusalem to interact with the apostles and the church leaders there. You see, Paul stayed remarkably separate, strikingly independent in his ministry. Now, why does that matter? Why is it significant? On one level, it drives home that point that Paul's message and his authority weren't second tier. They weren't derived from the leaders at Jerusalem as though he just functioned as a minor helper of the real apostles. No, even when Paul did go up to Jerusalem, verse 2, he went up in response to a revelation from God, not a sort of summons from the leaders in Jerusalem. Remember that the Lord very specifically set Paul apart to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. That's his commission. That's his mission. It was a special job because, of course, the gospel had begun with the people of Israel. Jesus was an Israelite, and his, his ministry began among the people of Israel, although, of course, it expanded beyond there. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the promised king of Israel. And so for Jews to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus as Savior and King, they simply had to see and believe that all the promises of the Old Testament had been fulfilled in Him, their true Messiah. Now, when they made that step of belief, their whole way of life didn't need to change overnight. They didn't have to cast off all their traditions and their practices. Uh, many of those traditions, many of those practices, they weren't necessary anymore, but they weren't contrary to the gospel. Many of them were matters of indifference. They could keep them or not keep them, but they were kind of free to work that out over time. There was no burning urgency to do so. But for the gospel to go to non-Israelites, for the gospel to go to non-Jews, there was a whole extra layer of understanding and of work that needed to be done right away. It's one thing for a profound discovery to be made, for a profound truth to come to light. It is quite another thing for the full implications of that truth and that discovery to be worked out and taken to their final implications. Think, for example, of Isaac Newton's laws of motion and of universal gravitation. He uncovered and he articulated some very profound, very foundational truths. But it would take other scientists centuries to work out those truths to some wider implications, and we're still doing that even now. Newton's discovery led to air travel and even to space travel and much else in between. His discoveries contained the seeds of huge technological advances. But the scientists who designed the Apollo space vessels and the jumbo jet, they had significant work to do. 
after Newton had laid down his pen. Articulating the principle was one thing, working out the implications is another. Now, the gospel says that Jesus died for our sins to pay the price of our wrongdoing before God through his death, to bring us cleansing, to reconcile us to our maker. It says that we're made right with God simply by believing in him. That's the core truth at the heart of everything. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It was revealed by Jesus Christ, and it was taught by all the apostles. But for that core truth to so permeate the heart and the mind of an Israelite so that they could actually believe that a Gentile could be reconciled to God, a pagan, an unclean outsider, suddenly made right with the God of Israel. Now, that takes a pretty profound shift in their thinking. For the implications of the core truth of the gospel to be worked out and to be applied rigorously and consistently, that's going to take some work. That's going to take some time. It would take a special person, actually, and it would take a special ministry. And here is where the Apostle Paul comes in. And what we learn here in Galatians tells us that the church in Jerusalem did really struggle to work through some of these issues. Just notice what happened when Paul did eventually make that second visit to Jerusalem, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. Chapter 2 and verse 3, we're told that there was a misunderstanding there about Jewish customs. And there was pressure for a Gentile believer to submit to circumcision. Paul reports, verse 3, that not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose, says Paul, because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. You see, this is a live issue at Jerusalem. There's pressure for non-Jews to become Jews before they'll be fully accepted by God through the gospel. And the trouble even extends to the apostles, as we'll see when we come to verse 11 of chapter 2 in a moment. The gospel makes it crystal clear that we don't need to do anything in terms of religious practice or legal observance to make ourselves acceptable to the God of Israel. But for that message really to hit home, really to sink in among believers from a Jewish background at Jerusalem in the heart of Judaism, it's just going to take some time. It's going to be a messy process. And so in his great wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, God decided to take hold of a man on the Damascus road and so encounter him and so transform him that he will have such a clear grasp of the gospel that he'll be ready to take it and proclaim it to the pagans without any hindrance, without any hesitation. Jonathan Griffiths today with a message called Authentic Messenger, Authentic Gospel, looking at the message that Paul gave to the church in Galatia and how he told his story so that we might have confidence in his message. If you missed any part of this message, I want you to know you can always go back to our website and listen online. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and as you give a gift to support this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book from Vaughn Roberts. It's called True Friendship, and Jonathan, why did you pick this book? Well, I think this book is a real little gem. It's an easy read. It's not a long book, but it's full of practical wisdom for this whole theme of, of friendship. And actually, I think in our 
social mediaized culture where we connect digitally and remotely with so many people. We can have tons and tons of connections, but maybe not very many friendships. And I think we're in an age actually of profound isolation on many fronts. And we human beings, we need friends. And if we're going to live the Christian life, we need friends who are going to walk shoulder to shoulder with us through the Christian life. And drawing on the wisdom of the biblical book of Proverbs, this little book, True Friendship, encourages us to think biblically about friendship. I think it will be an encouragement to you. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book from Von Roberts, True Friendship, for your gift of any amount. You can give online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for doing that and for listening today. I hope you'll join us again next time.